Hey everybody, we're back again here for Uncanny Cinema. Once again, uh, I am Linton. We are doing our final Halloween spookening show here. And we've got a cast of characters here joining us. A couple returning people and somebody new. So we've got Eric. Hello. Jess. Hi. And Katie. Hi. And this one we are going to do Shock Treatment. This is the sort of sequel to Rocky Horror, the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1981. It is very loosely a sequel. They referred to it, the tagline was, not a sequel, not a prequel, an equal, which a lot of Rocky Horror fans were not particularly pleased about that. But yeah, it's only even vaguely Halloween-y. I'll be upfront. This has... A little bit of some kind of mad science-y stuff, so it can apply. The main reason I picked it is because of its connection to Rocky Horror, its direct connection. And Rocky Horror is, you know, obviously like one of the Halloween <clears throat> October movies that there are. So, uh, panel here we've got is people who are kind of different, come from different places for Rocky Horror. Myself, I am a fan. I'm not as huge a fan as some people, but I'm definitely a fan of it. Uh, Eric is not that big a fan, if at all, of Rocky Horror, like some elements. Jess is a pretty big fan, giant fan. She's nodding, <laughs> so I think all the above. Uh, and she was also part of a couple shadow casts of Rocky Horror. And then I think Katie is probably our super fan on this, having gone to a lot of productions and actually directed some shadow casts of it. And has probably watched the original Rocky Horror countless times, I'm guessing. I I, I would say more than 20, less than 100. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a high number. Yeah. Super fan always has a negative connotation. To no, it, so I would like I, to say generous fan. All right. I mean, not around here. Super fan's totally fine. So, yeah. So we're going to be looking at Shock Treatment, the unusual Rocky Horror sequel or spinoff or whatever you want to refer to it as. So, what did we make of Shock Treatment? Uh... <laughs> Just... It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a movie. <laughs> I was we're going to say Maddie, before you mentioned... <laughs> Before you mention the intro that you, why you vaguely put it into the Halloween mix of movies, I was going to say that I think has no business being associated with Halloween or mm -hmm. horror. It's a Rocky horror, obviously itself has a lot of horror tropes, even though I wouldn't say it's a scary movie, but this movie I don't think really has anything. I, I would defend it. I think, I think uh, Richard O'Brien and is it Patricia? What's that actress's name? Quinn. Quinn. Patricia, Patricia Quinn, Quinn, who I think are actually both pretty good in this. Um, they return in different roles. And I think they're playing off like mad scientist tropes. I mean, the way they depict him, like he's, he's, he's head shaved bald. He's got these big Coke bottle glasses and they're both in these weird green. I mean, they have different costumes, but predominantly a lot of the time these green uh, hospital garb looking things. And I feel that it's playing off of kind of a mad scientist trope. But it's very light. It's not much to it. But yeah, like I said, I, I feel just its connection to Rocky Horror, um, you know, makes it worthwhile uh, to discuss for this time period. 
I will say that to me, this it's weird because Eric, generally I agree with you, but if you see the movie poster, it's Richard O'Brien's. That's the scariest part of the whole thing because it's Richard O'Brien's face, face. <laughs> this weird smile, and it's all red, and it's a genuinely unsettling movie poster for a film that does mostly now um, critique local access television. So. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Jess, uh, I think you might have gotten drowned out there a little earlier, but it sounded like you uh, you believed that everyone's angry with me for choosing this. Was that your joke? <laughs> I mean, I am, and <laughs> I can't imagine anyone's happy with you for making us watch this. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just, uh, you know, it's an hour and a half, and I really felt like it was like three hours. It's, I kept checking the time on YouTube and I was like, still? So, yeah. It was, there was a point where it was during Janet's fourth song where she mostly is walking and looking right at the camera, singing in that low, husky voice. That, that the I, I'm Gonna I, Get Some Blood song? or Yes, <laughs> yes. Was it Blood or Love? I think I it was Young Blood. blood. Young, Young blood, blood, I think. Yeah. Blood? Okay, cool. Which could mean, I mean love, I don't uh, know. It was, I also couldn't understand what anyone was saying during the entire film ever, so. I had, I had trouble hearing a lot of the song lyrics most of the time, especially if it was in chorus. I couldn't make it out. Um, mm. But yeah, like it was, it was, I don't know if that was just the version that I watched, but yeah, it was hard to hear what people were saying some of the time. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be up front. Uh, so it sounds like nobody enjoyed it. Uh, I, I know, I know. Well, I, I want to get to you, Katie. Eric, I know you didn't. I, I, you know, we can go more into that. Jess, you are a hard pass, even though you are a big Rocky Horror fan. Katie, uh, where are you at on it? I mean, I don't like it. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have, but I, I also kind of enjoy the, sort of disorientated sensation of people in fancy costumes doing nonsense so much as a general thing that I like that it wasn't, I, I, it wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't, <laughs> I'm not angry. I, I just, you know how that glittery hat that she had, I was happy that I got to see that hat. Enough <laughs> that I put up with a lot of the film because that's a really great hat and was heavily featured. So, see that big, you, that like big, like wear it to the funeral of the husband you killed hat. Mm -hmm. But then it's also completely covered in glitter, so it probably weighed like three pounds. <laughs> it was, I really enjoyed that hat a lot. So, that part I liked. <laughs> the hat. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say that, like, everyone's having a blast in this and you can tell like they're, you know, fully committed and just, yeah, it looks like a fun shoot, but like it doesn't translate to the audience. Like I wasn't having fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> I wondered uh, oh, go ahead, Eric. Uh, while I was watching it because I rewatched Rocky horror right before this. And, you know, I think Rocky horror has other things that offers apart from just the campy musical numbers, which, I don't enjoy on their face. So I was wondering if people who are watching this, that you don't have like Tim Curry's performance for one, or maybe songs are as good if, if, if you just enjoy it on its face, which I guess Katie kind of did cause she can enjoy 
just campy musical numbers, even though there's not much of a movie backing them. Um, but I, I would have guessed that, yeah, and, and mainly because I'd never heard of this movie, that it, it, people that were fans of Rocky Horror just did not like it either. No, it was it was kind of rejected by the fan base at the time. I mean, Rocky Horror came out in 75. This is 81. So it wasn't, I mean, it was definitely a phenomenon by then, but it didn't have the decades that's been built up over the years. But it, yeah, at the time, the fandom was kind of like, yeah, what what is this? Why, why is this? And then general audiences weren't going to flock to it because they didn't flock to Rocky Horror either. And I would say that even the thing, the things that make Rocky Horror work, because I also rewatched Rocky Horror before and like kind of back to back with this one, I was analyzing them uh, both to see, okay, well, what does Rocky Horror do really well or where might there be some problems and what is shock treatment doing and where, why, why doesn't it work? Why isn't it up to snuff? And so I definitely want to dig into that. But yeah, fandom didn't embrace it. The general public certainly didn't embrace it. Over the years, it's gained kind of a minor cult following just in this. I, I think it's just like certain factions of the Rocky Horror community, I think maybe have come around of like, oh, it's not that bad. Or I like some parts or kind of thing. But yeah, it's definitely not. It's never gotten the. Yeah, I mean, like Rocky Horror has never been pulled out of theaters since 75. It has been continuously running as the only, it's the longest running movie ever for that. Like, so Shock Treatment doesn't have anything like that. Although Jess did mention before we started that this did get turned into a musical by O'Brien uh, 10, 15 years, or five, 10 years ago or something. So, so, I mean, he at least attempted to like go back and, you know, revive it a little bit. But yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's not famous. It's not well-regarded it's not really embraced as a cult movie it's more basically like a curiosity because it's a sequel to a very famous movie that you know but the sequel itself is something that a lot of people don't really love and for good reason yeah and i think it's easy to dismiss because it is it is a very loose sequel it has the same well kind of the same two characters brad's not really in it that much um he just kind of is captured at the beginning and he just he's, he's gagged and he doesn't yeah. he, he has a few scenes where he's reacting but he's not really doing anything because um, I wondered like why you know you know they weren't able to get say the original two cast members to reprise those roles because the Rocky Horror was a big thing and you would mm -hmm. think that six years later that they would either be interested or they'd have the money to maybe get Sarandon and Boswick do it but like yeah Boswick would have nothing to do if he was in this movie so what I, yeah, well, Boswick would have played Farley Flavors. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's, that's like kind of the semi-villain of the movie. Or, I mean, he is the villain, but he's not really doing much for most of the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I read a little bit on it. Uh, Boswick, I think, was just unavailable. So that's what happened there. Sarandon had been in some other movies and was getting a bigger status. So she wanted more money and they wouldn't pay her. Um, so that's what happened there. Tim Curry, which to me is what really kills this movie, is not having Tim Curry. I mean, it wouldn't have been a success with Tim Curry, I don't think, alone, mm -hmm. but it would have helped. And yeah. the thing that I've read, so for those of you who haven't seen it, the plot is very loose and hard to follow at times, and we will talk more about that. But one of the key aspects of it is 
Uh, Brad has, we find out, spoiler alert, we find out near the end that he has a twin brother who is this like kind of TV mogul that's been sort of villainous throughout the whole movie. Um, and I think they're trying to play off of the kind of theater trope of actors being cast in different parts and the audience just rolls with it because at no point do any of the characters like be like, well, you look just like Brad. So, and then, then there's the reveal that, oh, well, they're, they're twins. And so I think they're trying to kind of play with that idea of like the audience just assumes, oh, it's a musical and people play different roles in a musical and that happens and whatever. But so supposedly they wanted Tim Curry to be both flavors and brad i guess they would have been recasting if boswick couldn't be in it which is already kind of confusing there but curry didn't want to do it because he didn't think he could do an american accent but at that point <laughs> my big question my i have two questions on this especially for katie who is a big proponent of tim curry which is one has he ever done an American accent in anything? Because I wonder if he was lying. And two, if if his stipulation was, oh, I don't want to do an American accent because I don't think I could pull it off. Why not just change the fucking script so you can make sure Tim Curry gets in this? Like, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, just make Farley Flavors British or German or, or not have Tim Curry play Brad. Like, you could have so many ways that you could have still gotten him in this if that was his sticking point. I don't... Pennywise had an American accent. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah. Well, I don't know. First of all, I do love Tim Curry and I love when Tim Curry slums it in things. I love <laughs> when he's the giving so much more than the material deserves, but I don't know if as of 1981, he had done an American accent before, okay. but I also, I was sort of confused Litton because I, and I am probably wrong, right? But uh, I thought that he was going to do the blind German guy's part. What I so uh, I, I could be mixed up, but I'm pretty sure I've I've read the the flavors Brad thing, which is confusing in its own right because of him now being Brad. The the blind uh, I think it's like Viennese uh, guy who is played by the actor who plays Dame Edna. Love Dame Edna. Uh, Barry Humphreys, I think. So uh, played by that actor, that was supposed to be the doctor, Dr. Scott. That, right. that was, They were supposed to carry over Dr. Scott's character, but he didn't want to, that actor didn't want to be involved. And so they rewrote that part and changed it so it became this other you know, blind TV host or fake blind, I guess. Why, like, no one wanted to be involved, but Rocky Horror had already been established as like a success at this point. So well, there are why. there are a number of people yeah. who are who do carry over. There's uh, so Brad and Janet are recast. Jessica Harper plays Janet. Clifty Young is Brad and Farley Flavors. But Richard O'Brien, who is Riff Raff, has a mm -hmm. fairly sizable role as like a Cosmo McKinley, and then Patricia Quinn, who is Magenta, is his sister. Though they might actually be a married couple. It's pot the incest. Well, wow. well, it's presented as incest initially, really? but then later we find out that they're actors, so it's like maybe they're actually married. The movie doesn't really tell you. Um, and then Little Nell, who was Columbia, is a nurse in it. So three of the kind of like key, like people of the house, came back. 
Uh, and then and the, go ahead. Oh, yes, go ahead. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, the criminologist, uh, there's a character, yeah. they, they give him a full name and they say he's a judge. So I think a lot of Rocky Horror fans think he probably is just playing the exact same character because he looks the same, he acts the same, he's a criminologist. Mm -hmm. Here he's a judge, the other guy's a criminologist. So, so he's potentially the same guy. And then for some reason, like the only person who confirmed returns to the same role is Brad's friend, Ralph. And like, <laughs> did anybody give a shit? Like, like who was like, who was wanting Ralph back, but they got that guy yeah. and gave him like sizable lines and stuff. I, I did. I really appreciated that they, they thought to themselves, we need more Hapshat. And they gave the people what they wanted, which was like a pretty complicated story about the Hapshats to the extent that there is story in this film, which, yeah. uh, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, the frustration with me, I guess, is just like, if everyone else is playing a different character, not from Rocky, like, why do we need Brad and Janet? Right, like, yeah. At all. It's, no, I mean, yeah, it like, could have stood on its own without any connection to Rocky Horror. And it's kind of undoing Rocky Horror because the point of Rocky is like these small town squares, uh, you know, loosen up and get in touch with their sexuality and all this stuff. And then we see them later on and they're back to being boring couple. And it's like, well, I don't. I, I was thinking that as well. Jess when it came on because actually I've seen this movie before but it was a long time ago and then mm. I had sort of forgotten that Brad and Janet are in it uh, and I was like oh, oh okay but I sort of assumed that this was like an alternative universe version of, of Brad and Janet as opposed to the like actually the same characters who went through that because yeah. at the end of Rocky Horror they're like in even more tattered underwear, like reaching in the ruins of a castle. Yeah. But in a way I did, I did kind of miss the sheer, like, I don't know what's going on. Blank confusion of Brad and Janet and Rocky horror, because mm. they were feeling what we as the audience were feeling, which was what's happening as opposed to in this movie where yeah, they're not as up to their eyeballs at the beginning with the whole local talk show madness intensity vibe, but mm. they get pulled way into it and are like now like way more part of the plot. And so I had no audience, I had no audience care to look at be like, do you know what's happening, <laughs> Janet or Brad? Because I certainly don't. And everybody yeah. else seems to, so... I, I did think that um, they weren't even playing. They were they were meant to play the same role, I guess, but they weren't even. I think I think that's a decent way of looking at it because I this time I tried to zero in to see if there were any direct references to Rocky Horror. That like, are there any lines? Are there anything where it's like this could conceivably be a continuation? The only things I think you can point to is other than the characters that you know they show up that were in the other one. Uh, is you have the criminologist arguably is the same guy, but, you know, but Brad, it, with Katie's theory that Brad and Janet are, you know, it's just like the same characters just thrown in something else, so could the criminologist. And then there's a moment backstage 
where uh, O'Brien dressed up. He's bald. He's got those glasses. And he passes that Grant Wood painting of American Gothic, which very much looks like how he's dressed in that moment, but also as a reference to he and uh, Magenta were like, you know, or surrogate Magenta or whatever. They were playing the, you know, the couple at the beginning uh, when Brad and Janet are getting married. So it's like a subtle little nod to Rocky Horror. But yeah, I don't think there's anything explicit. And the thing that it reminds me of is um, when the writer did, uh, the writer of the original book who did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I remember reading he did a, like a second book with Roger Rabbit, but it completely had nothing to do with the plot of the original, wasn't a sequel or prequel or anything. And that he said it was, the basic idea was like the way Looney Tunes characters are just, Bugs Bunny's just, he's just in with this opera guy now. And it has nothing to do with Elmer Fudd. And you're just locked into the seven minutes of Bugs Bunny with opera guy. And there's no previous adventure that has anything to do with it. So that would be one way to look at this movie is, yeah, it's like, we're just seeing Brad and Janet on another zany adventure. So. Yeah, there, there is one line that made my ears perk up right in the beginning. Um, she kind of throws it away. Uh, Janet is like, uh, now, Brad, everything's going to be all right. And that's like a line that Brad says to Janet in the first one. Yeah. And so and she kind of delivers it the same way. And so I was like, OK, like, it's weird that, you know, the roles are reversed now. Maybe that's what they're trying to. One of the things they're trying to do, but. And, and yeah. they are married. So you could see some kind of progression there from the previous one. Um, you know, it's not anything strong, but it's just like, all right, so that could be a passage of time from Rocky, but yeah, it's very loose in that regard. My my theory is that all of Rocky Horror Picture Show is just an episode of TV on this movie that Brad and Janet were acting in and it all meant nothing. It's, it's meaningless. Well, we, we know that that's not true though, Eric, because um, oh, really? it didn't feature any of the four padded walls or the research lab in this movie, and that's the entire set. They've got like three things in this movie and that's where all of their shows are. They don't have, they don't clearly have the budget for anything that looks like it's outside. But this is the, the only the studio that they're showing us because, because the guy, the, the professor guy, he was like narrating a TV show kind of in Rocky horror. Cause he's talking to the audience that here's this story about these two. Mm. He leaves and then now he shows up in this movie as a different character. So I think, you know, they're all just kind of playing different characters every week. I like that. A bit of trivia. Yeah, let's add another there. element. <laughs> let's add another layer of TV to this. It doesn't have yeah. enough. It doesn't well, have that's, enough TV. That's the thing about the plot that I, well, I would, I don't think I would have been aware of this just watching the movie cold, but I, I read like the first line in Wikipedia that how the setup is that this town is just a big TV set. Yeah. And everyone is either in it or in the audience. And like, so there's really no outside world, I guess, which I probably would not have picked up on just watching it. I thought it would have just have been taking place in a television studio, but not that this is like a, like a weird dystopian town where no one can really do anything. Well, but... when you're, when you're with the parents though, like, cause like you follow Brad's story where he gets basically abducted by this hospital and then you're with uh, Janet's parents and, like, the audience is, like, watching and reacting to, like, private moments between them. You're, like, inside the parents' house and stuff. So it all is, I mean, the movie isn't clear on a lot of points. So I'm not going to, you know, say, like, if you didn't 
pick up on it. Like, oh, it's so obvious. It's like, I mean, I think that's what they were intending to do. But yeah, I'm sure it could be clearer. The way that all came about is they, it was originally going to just be shot like a normal script. So the stuff with the doctors, uh, so as Eric said, it's, it all takes place in a giant TV studio. And so they literally move like room to room all within one huge complex that was shot in a real big like TV and film studio. Um, but uh, the reason that came about was because there was an actor strike, I think, uh, some kind of production strike, and they couldn't mm-hmm. shoot in the United States, but they could shoot in England, but they couldn't find anywhere in England that was going to match like small town America. And so they came up with the idea of, well, if we did it like all inside this TV studio, uh, that could be an interesting device. And then they also found that that saved them like a million dollars if they did it that way. So like, I actually think that's one of the more interesting aspects of this movie. And I also, uh, that goes along with the uh, satire. I wouldn't say it's great satire, but the satire of almost like reality television that this is 81. And I think the real world is like the mid nineties. And that's like 1994. I don't yeah. know why I know that, but that's fine. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, reality TV didn't really kick off to like late nineties, early two thousands. So like, people have said that this movie is like fairly prescient on that point. And I think that's true. That doesn't make it good, but I think that's an interesting element. I, yeah. I thought conceptually on its face that that was a pretty cool idea, especially because this is yeah so long ago. And I feel like I've seen things like that, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, it just made me more confused because there were times where I was like, are they supposed to be on in the show right now? Or are they like backstage on the show? Or is that also the show? And what's happening? And oh, another musical number. Okay, this is not going to help. I think everything we're watching is supposed to be a show <laughs> of some kind. Okay, not just when they cut away to the Denton Vale, because I felt like every time I did that, they were trying to establish that. Oh, here's what's happening on the TV show now. New show. And then, yeah, I think they weren't really moving in and out. But I guess if everything was supposed to be supposedly the show, then it makes a little more sense. But. I was confused. The same. Uh, uh, so much. <laughs> I I also, I can't emphasize again how much I couldn't understand what anyone was saying or singing. And I think that under normal circumstances, I would have turned the subtitles on, but I didn't have I tried. Subtitles no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. The, the file that I was watching didn't have subtitles. And I don't know that that would have helped. Like, I don't think it's in the dialogue that I was missing that made it all hang together, but... Boy, was I also confused. Um, and Lytton, I had read that same thing about um, why they ended up doing it in a film studio. And mm. it is pretty interesting because it seems like film stuff, the, the, the TV critique or exploration was was built in there to an extent from the beginning. But it is strange that what, to the extent this this, this movie is known for, to the extent that it is known, is this real, this TV satire critique that was seemingly only sort of incorporated well into the production of, of the movie. I thought that, that was kind of interesting since uh, to the extent, again, that, that this has a coherent message, which I don't know that it, I think it seemed like it was exploring a lot of things instead of, you know, saying a lot of things. Um, I don't know. 
that that's accurate necessarily, but it does seem like it's centered around the concept of media and the Cele- audience. Celebrity. And celebrity, for sure, Ooh. and weird cross-branding, which was strange. And then the <laughs> mental health part is sort of like ends up being almost forgotten, even though it's... Supposedly, in, I mean, it's in the title. that Right, exactly. So it's strange. And no one actually gets shocked. Did anybody no. think about that? They yeah, say about shock treatment, but he doesn't. They don't do it. I, no, I, did actually... see, I did see that O'Brien commented, I guess, like when they were doing the musical, the like actual stage version, that like, yeah, they uh, we never actually did anything. So they incorporated that into the stage version. So I think there's like, that's part of the plot in that one. It didn't occur to me until just now that they didn't shock anyone. And actually that makes me actively upset. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Just once. Every movie that has the word shock in it guarantees at least what a shocker, shock corridor. Um, There could have been something. R.L. Stein's a shocker on shock street. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I think this movie also could have benefited from, the narrator character in the criminologist uh, in Rocky, like he was, you know, he might be the same person. He might be the, I don't know, but just like in Rocky, he was there to just be like backstory, backstory, backstory. This is happening. And here's, we're going to catch you up right now. And in this, he's just a character in it. And you're like, but I need you. (laughs) Well, that's, that was something that I picked up on, especially watching them back to back and thinking about how Rocky operates. And Rocky operates on dozens, if not hundreds of science fiction and horror films where like it assumes that the audience has at least a vague understanding of this stuff because those things have been made since 30s, 40s, 50s. I mean, all the way up through the 70s when it you know was put on the stage and came out. But so it's you know, young couple and they're from, you know, small town America and they come across this creepy house slash castle in the woods. And then there's people inside and they seem weird. And, you know, then you get into this kind of Frankenstein plot. Like it's hitting all these beats that oh, are like a ton of sci-fi and horror movies. So you're watching it. And so it's like, you don't have to really know what's happening. For one thing, the plot is so much simpler in, in Rocky, I would argue. But you also like you already know that plot. It's just it, they're tropes. They're working with tropes, and so they take those tropes and then they put on top of it sex and a lot of funny dialogue and a lot of great songs and interesting costumes. And so it's like, oh, I, well, I understand the baseline of what's happening, and then oh, it's all this fun stuff. Whereas with shock treatment, it's like trying to tell a story, but it doesn't have anything that's it's holding on to like, I I felt like maybe if they had leaned more into a mad scientist angle that is like vaguely there, then, you know, I I thought possibly like, you don't want to repeat Rocky horror, but like maybe you do it where it's like a Jekyll and Hyde riff because you already have two characters that are like the same actor. So you could have done that. And we know the basic beats of Jekyll and Hyde, or you could have done like an invasion of the body snatchers riff, which is a very popular trope, and there were at least two two of those official movies by the seventy late seventies, and then there were more ripoff ones. So, like, you could have done something like that, when then the audience knows, oh, it's like those kind of movies, but then they're making fun of stuff, and there's jokes and that kind of thing. So that's one way I think something that it needs 
it it alone would not save it. Tim Curry alone would not save it. You need multiple <laughs> things to save this movie. Yeah, it, you need multiple things. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because Rocky Horror had started out as a stage play that they then brought to the big screen. And this, they started out as a movie. And I do sort of, I do sort of, and in a way it is kind of theatrical in that there's, you know, there's not tons of sets, you know what I mean? It's not like there's, there's a ton necessarily of um, big show pieces that you wouldn't be able to put on stage. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do, I do feel like maybe it, it needed a lot of refining and uh, I think that maybe if it had had that, that previews that a show has before it goes up, it would have helped, you know, <laughs> it would have, it would have, they would have, they would have found like the, a crew member to be the, the narrator or something, anything. <laughs> See, another, another aspect that struck me was in thinking about in comparison to Rocky Horror and, and why the fan base and Jess, I both Jess and Katie can speak to this, uh, you know, wherever you fell on it as Rocky fans. I'm curious. I mean, you put different thoughts out there, but on these specific ones, I feel like Rocky operates. There, there's certain things that draws different groups to Rocky, but the primary things you have the, the sci-fi horror stuff. So if you're fans of that, there's, there's a decent chance you're going to at least find this interesting or appealing. There's the sexuality, there's musical theater, uh, there's jokes, and then there's like the progressive, you know, politics of it. Uh, Shock Treatment doesn't really have the sci-fi horror, pretty much drops that completely. Doesn't really have the sex there at all. Um, The progressive attitudes are like vaguely alluded to a couple times, but it's not nearly anything that Rocky does. And then, so that leaves like jokes and songs. And I feel the joke writing isn't nearly as good, possibly because it's so hard to follow the plot. I do think some of the songs are really quite good, but I don't think, I think maybe there's one song. I think the title song is up there with some Rocky stuff. I think there's some other songs that I like a good deal, but even their best songs, I wouldn't put like other than shock treatment itself. I probably wouldn't put on par, but, but that's what strikes me is that like all those elements that operate in Rocky horror, you've removed so many of them. And, and as Eric said, or somebody said, like you could have just made this its own thing. And I think if you, if you think about like other stage productions where, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber or, you know, whoever uh, takes on, they're just going to do a different play. They're going to do a different show. So you might be going because of that director, that writer, and you might be interested, but this is not just, Oh, we're going to have a, a, we're going to have a lot of people we worked with before. We're going to do our own thing. It's like directly trying to play into like, well, this is sort of Rocky horror guys. So like it, you can't help but compare it because it's, they still have those tenuous connections. So, but yeah, I I put that to you, uh, Jess and Katie, like, the loss of those elements, like, is is that what kills it more than anything? It's, I mean, well, yeah, definitely. I think it's just like they didn't know they were making a cult classic when they made Rocky. 
they were just genuinely making a movie. And I feel like with shock treatment, it felt more like wink nudge to the Rocky fans instead of being its own thing. And it was just kind of like, this is frustrating. Like, I don't need to be played to like, you know, you can't make a cult movie like the audience decides that. So like, I don't know. It was just, yeah. If they just had done a different story or not, I mean, a different story. Sure. But like not use Brad and Janet, not use, just make it its own thing. It'd have been like, I don't know if you call it a sequel or an equal even to Rocky Horror, I'm walking in pissed. <laughs> like I'm like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Probably not. <laughs> so So I agree with Jess. I think that as a a sequel to Rocky Horror, as something that, oh, if I'm a Rocky Horror fan, I will like this, it is an abject failure, right? It's very bad. You 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 feel condescended to, you're like, I just invested my precious 94 minutes. And I got this. I didn't get Barry Bostwick. I didn't get Susan Sarandon. But as a movie, I didn't get Tim Curry. I didn't you know what? what? I can't even acknowledge that I didn't get Tim Curry because <laughs> I don't want to feel that absence in my heart, right? You know, that's too much. Um, and I wanted to give Barry Bostwick some love since I do think he has really great legs and it's underrated. Uh, His but legs I are think him. Both. But his, if you guys go back and you watch Rocky Horror and you you watch the the, the uh, you watch the floor show and you watch the kick line, he is up there. He's very flexible. He's very flexible. He was classically yeah. trained. And then you watch who's playing. He was. <laughs> I I I investigated when I realized how good his kicks were. And then you look at Rocky and Rocky's like getting like his leg maybe above the knee a little bit. So I just wanted to <laughs> just point out that. Barry Bostwick legs weren't in this movie either. Um, I think just as a, as a movie, I think it's just regular bad, right? It's just a regular bad movie. Um, but as a Rocky fan, I agree. It's It just sets up expectations that it, it's not meeting. And in a way, it probably couldn't meet, right? Mm. Um, but I, I think that at least for me, and, and I've seen uh, Rocky in a variety of settings and I've been involved to various degrees, what makes it unique and what makes it still be running to this day is that it's ultimately something that weirdos kind of like. It, it's it's a feeling of, okay, well, well, this movie is obviously about weirdos, right? And it was made by people who are weirdos. And it's for us who feel uh, sort of out of step with, with, uh, the rest of society, whether that's because we are having gay panic like Brad Majors or we just um, like to show up at midnight in, in inappropriate clothing because we're 16, like we like I was when I was 16. Uh, there <laughs> is this aspect of feeling like this, uh, a sense of ownership over the movie um, that is n- inspires a level of community and devotion that I don't think that without that, the movie necessarily would deserve. You know what I mean? I think that, um, I think that that's an essential component that can't necessarily be created intentionally, like you said, Jess, but Mm. um, yeah, when, when I go see a, a production of Rocky, I see it as, and participate as much for that, experience itself and seeing it with other people who like it 
as much as I do for the actual content of the film or the show itself. So that, that to me is what makes shock treatment was never going to be able to get that from a top down the way they sort of were hoping it would be. Well, that, that kind of mm-hmm. falls in line with something I saw that Roger Ebert said at the time, I guess, was he thought that Rocky fans would reject it. And his rationale was that they would reject it because it was being like tailor made for them. Whereas he thought some of the appeal of, for the original Rocky was it was not well received and people are like, this is trash or this offends my sensibilities or whatever, but that Rocky fans found it and embraced it and were like, no, this is fucking great. And like, and it is, I mean, I, that is one aspect of Rocky. I've never quite understood. I understand that it was like, you know, pushing the envelope definitely for 1975, but like I, even within Rocky fans, and maybe one of you can speak to it. I've never understood the idea of like people even classifying as like a bad movie or like that. It's, you know, like the kind of like, well, we make fun of it. And it's like, but I think it's actually like pretty smart and operates pretty well. Like it's a lot of smart jokes. It's really well-written songs. There's a lot of good performances. Some of it's a little hokey but there's also a campiness that's totally intentional. So I've never gotten that. It's like versus say the room where the room is like absolutely just a bad film and your enjoyment of it is watching how that badness unfold. I've always felt Rocky is like, no, it's just like a fun ride. Like maybe not everything works, but, um, but yeah, his, his argument was that they, they found Rocky and realized how good it was. Um, whereas this was, as Katie's saying, kind of operating on this I, different idea of, well, here it is. Here's what, here's what you guys wanted. Random costumes and singing. Yes, exactly. Ugh, that Doesn't matter hat. what else is going on. <laughs> yeah, the hat. <laughs> and she had a red hat too on towards the end when she gets named Miss Mental Health, which, whoa, oh, yeah, whoa, what the? <laughs> but that it wasn't as good as the first hat. Uh, I will say I, I do. I think that 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 finding of of it and it being Rocky itself being sort of rejected by the mainstream. Uh, and obviously, I the first time I saw it was in two thousand. Oh God, like two, the year two thousand because I'm an ancient hag. But <laughs> um, the 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 feeling of oh, you guys don't like this. Uh, we like it, and so it's ours, is, is I think, part of why Rocky Horror at least maybe initially had its appeal. Um, I don't know to what extent that's still true, since obviously culture has changed a lot. And I do think that it's not like I wanted shock treatment to be more sexy. I didn't want that. I, I aggressively did not want anything like that <laughs> to be happening once it started. But I, I do think that there, there was that that missing um, transgressive element, and not even necessarily like the sexy raunchy parts, but the the Frank as a uh, transvestite, as he describes himself in the film, uh, or you know Brad Majors having his gay panic, or. Susan Sarandon kissing Columbia in the pool. Those were all characters and and things that nobody was seeing on screen at the time. And for those people who wanted to kiss Columbia in the pool, uh, (laughs) it gave a feeling of really sorts of like, of 
possessiveness, which I think that the possessiveness of fans can be detrimental in a lot of ways to works. But I think in this case is part of what makes it such an enduring cultural milestone that shock treatment by not having it didn't, it's not like it was better for not having that. Um, and I think it is sort of a, I don't know. I think that, um, it could have used, and again, I, as I was about to say, it could use a little spice. It didn't need spice. It had too much things. There were so many ingredients and I hated that. Um, uh, camp exploitation, I think. Yes. But except for that, like weirdly pointed and aggressive song that Janet's father sings about being a man, which I Whoa. oh yes, the final line of which I maybe we should yeah. repeat because we'll get on the news. But uh... yeah, it was man, Yowzer, and, and yeah. but except for but that it... part, it was there was none of that or no nothing um, that I as like as. Uh, a lesbian now as a like tiny baby thought I was straight in the past, including it when we were doing the shadow casts, there was none of that except for, yeah, that weird anti anti gay father who, but I mean, like that was also like, that was a great tune, right? Like that was, but, that, but the point, I mean, <laughs> what isn't the point of that? Cause like Richard O'Brien has identified as uh, I, I think potentially trans or he, he's, he says he's like between yeah, yeah. and, and I, there's definitely a lot of like lgbt people associated with rocky War. i i my read i could be wrong my reading of that is to definitely satirize that viewpoint and that father i mean it's it can still be seen as very dated but oh sure yeah, yeah. it was not but I also pro dad. Yeah. <laughs> right i agree about that yeah, and I think like it's early on in the movie to where I'm thinking like, oh, they're setting that up as this character is this, and they're gonna change him in some way. But they don't really explore anything having to do with that after. It's just like this is the song that this guy's singing, and I guess that's his TV show. Yeah, where he is mowing the lawn and eighth gays. I guess <laughs> they don't really do anything. But it seems like they're setting up something early on in the movie because you think like, oh, this is gonna be a satire on mainstream television. This is like a sitcom dad where like it's it seems all cool. He's just a guy mowing the lawn, but he's really like <laughs> hateful and, you know, but then they, they don't really. Yeah. To my knowledge, really go. Any yeah. The, the plot that exists since we've kind of bounced around a little bit um, and feel free to jump in with uh, any other nuggets. But basically it's Brad and Brad. Uh, the entire thing takes place in the town of Denton, which we saw in the original Rocky Horror and that's uh, supposedly, I think there's some clues that Denton is supposed to be set in Ohio uh, based on she has like a Cleveland Plain dealer uh, that she's mm -hmm. reading. And when the criminologist is looking at the map, uh, I read that that's, I guess, a map of southeastern Ohio or southern Ohio, at least. Um, so and then Denton, you know, you have the Dayton possible connection. So I don't know if it was ever explicit like this is Ohio, but it's, you know, possible. But Fictitious town, nonetheless, and within the context of shock treatment, it's like one giant TV station. Uh, everything's internal, and it seems like everyone's lives exist within this. I mean, a studio audience like enters at the beginning of it, so potentially people live outside of this area. But it seems like at least the main cast that we're watching, like Janet and Brad and her family and stuff, they all seemingly live inside 
there's a hospital inside, there's other TV shows that are inside, they're walking in between corridors, through hallways and stuff, um, and that's seemingly filmed, you have an audience reacting to things. So that's kind of the motif that's going on, Plot, which is a lot. Plot-wise, uh, the basic crux of it is Brad and Janet get there, they get called onto some kind of show, and then the guy on that show kind of starts splitting up Brad and Janet and you don't know why he's like starts saying that there are things wrong with Brad, but you don't really know what his motivations are. And then suddenly Brad kind of gets whisked away to these seemingly mad scientist characters where he's, uh, he's like put in a straight jacket and he's kept at a hospital and you don't really know why that's happening for like a lot of the movie. (laughs) Like it's just it's just occurred, and you're just they don't like, really ever talk to him. They don't say this is why you're yeah. here. It's just him with a gag in his mouth. Yeah, so but Janet like supports it too. Of like, oh yeah, he's he's crazy. Like, yeah. So what? What are you saying? So he gets he gets pulled off. Eventually, her parents are kind of questioning, like, should this be happening? There's like a fairly funny line by the dad where it says, uh, "Brad doesn't need to be trussed up like a turkey. There are drugs to keep him quiet." And I was like, yes. "You need more of those kind of Rocky Horror lines in this." <laughs> Um, but yeah, basically Brad's just, as Eric had said, just tied up for most of the movie. The same actor also plays uh, Farley Flavors, who is a sort of like media mogul that's a shadowy figure that pops up every once in a while. You don't really know what his motivations are. Uh, the actor plays... He's, play- he's oh, the I- sponsor of, of all the, the things on the, yeah. uh, of, on the TV show in a way that I think, you know, you do see on like local TV, but it is also worth it. Like we don't even see any of the, like I kept thinking we'd like see a store or they would go shop at the place, but yeah, there's somebody lurking and you can see him walking around in this like neon heart that's overlooking everything. It's very nefarious seeming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Mm -hmm. you do know that he has that connection to uh, like the commercialization aspect, but I feel like you don't like they keep kind of showing him as being this like sinister presence, but you don't really know like why or what he's supposedly doing or what he wants to do. You're like well into the back half. Yeah. He seems to want Janet maybe. Yeah. And basically, so, so that just kind of happens and that's, that's the kind of, looseness of the plot meanwhile janet is being made famous some suddenly for some reason and then we find out that the (laughs) basically you don't know what even the plot is until probably the last half hour or something when things start to click into place and i'm not saying that they do click into place but you know come in some semblance at that point we we're revealed that uh farley flavors and brad are identical twins and they were split up as kids, and that Farley resents Brad, so he wants to take Janet, and he was the reason that Brad got committed. And it's like, okay, I that's fine. Sure. I guess I guess that can work. But, but the weird thing is, like, we're well past an hour or more in the movie, and like all these things have happened, and it's not like the movie presents it where it's like there's somebody who committed Brad, and we need to find out who it is. It's like. We don't know why he gets committed. We don't know what's really happening. The criminologist guy seems to think something bad is happening, but I don't know how they understand any more of the plot than we do. Yeah, they just well, they get kicked off of their show, I guess. Do they? Point. Or well, well, at one point, there's the criminologist and the other woman 
they're suddenly like locked out of their studio show or something. Yeah. The guy says you're canceled oh, too. Yeah. yeah. They feel like something's up. And I guess that's when they start exploring what's going on. Um, but there is, it, it, it does seem like that, that man, that initial scene where Brad is getting committed is perplexing. And, <laughs> and, and it's, it's clear that it's sort of starts as a parody of like the newlywed game or some sort of marriage game show. But, mm. um, and then it, but then suddenly, then he's just being committed and the, the host is that German blind guy who's not really blind, though his sunglasses are very stylish and I did notice that I would like to have a pair that just like that. Um, and so I don't understand a lot of what he's saying and things are moving very quickly and yeah, then Brad is just sort of hauled away seemingly for no reason Although it does turn out that at the end, like you said, Linton, that um, Farley says that he orchestrated it all, but I don't didn't seem like anybody was orchestrating shit. Like, <laughs> except like maybe that German guy who, man, did we ever get any any thing on him besides that he wasn't really blind? They allude to him, I think, being like a Nazi. Because near the very end, when Brad, or it's either Brad and Janet, or when the two doc, the two doctors are exposed to be, they're actually uh, character actors, which the other characters react with horror to this, and it's like, well, fuck, why? Like, why does that matter? But so they've been like, <laughs> they've been pretending to be doctors within this world where everybody's on TV anyway, but. Um, so that's a big thing, but that that uh, German doctor or the German host says something about like they need to be like taken to the Danube or something, and somebody goes, "What?" and he's like, "Oh, just just memories." He says he something did like say that. Something about yeah. and, and I I think the implication is supposed to be like, "Oh, he was like a Nazi guard or something." You know, it's like in the SS. Like I, it's very very light. They don't do anything with it, but there is also Farley has a logo with five F's that is definitely yeah. meant to look like swastikas. And there's sort of like this, yeah. sort of like this fascism meeting commercialization, which like, okay, I could see you doing something with it, but I'd feel the movie really doesn't. And it gets to the end and Brad and Janet and the criminologist and what's the other character, Betty, right? They're kind of Betty. like, they've like stood up to Farley. So they're sort of rejected by the town. They're locked up. And they eventually escape, but then, like, the town seemingly, like, follows Farley as, like, their appointed leader. And this is where I had to literally look up the Wikipedia information on the plot line to be like, what did happen there? And I guess they all get committed at the hospital. Like, but I don't, I don't I'm guessing the satire of it's supposed to be is like, oh, Brad and Janet and them escape because they stood up against fascism and commercialism but the rest of the town is just a bunch of uh, all-american dopes so they just like marched right in to get themselves committed it's like i guess richard o'brien i guess that's what's happening <laughs> yeah that was confusing i will say that was a really like bone chilling shot when they're all just like in their striped uniforms yeah. and like in the halls of the asylum like that was cool but like 
I don't know. Yeah. It was, I didn't really understand why. Yeah, the Grease ending was what, yeah. what, what we were describing <laughs> it as when I, I we were watching. Thing, yeah. When Brad and Janet and, like, their little, like, little rascals like gang of people who were actually seemingly like adults which was upsetting um just drive off and and man i was really hoping that at the very end we would get as they drove off we would get to see a glimpse of the sky like i felt like i needed the sky at the end and we, we didn't <laughs> yeah I, I i still i felt like i was left a little bit in the asylum at the end there's nothing worse than a bad movie being capped by reminding me of Grease. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, Grease well, had just come out, right? 1977? Uh, uh, yes, 78 maybe. 78, uh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's right in there. Uh, Jess's comment on the, yeah, that shot near the end where everybody's like in straight jackets and stuff. There are some good shots in this. And it is the same director. Um, I mean, even though they couldn't get all the cast members back and significant cast members back, um, it does still have Richard O'Brien writing, and it does still have Jim Sharman as the same director who did Rocky Horror, and he also co-wrote this. So I think there is some like good directorial flair. I think it still looks good. It arguably might look better than Rocky in some parts of just more professional, like that the guy might you know know a little bit more than he's doing, but you know, that doesn't save the final product. Um, there is one aspect I wanted to bring up because I think Katie mentioned that the movie moves really fast, which I would agree in terms of the plot, just there's so much where you're just like, what is this? What's happening? Where is this going? But I think it's also oddly moving way slower than Rocky. Because uh, I, when I watched Rocky, I took account of the early bits of Rocky. And so in Rocky, within the first 10 minutes, you have two fantastic songs right out of the gate. You have science fiction double feature opens the movie, and then you get Damn It Janet, which is a really great, you know, ballady type song or what, however you would classify it. You know, it's a good opening for our characters. That's within 10 minutes. You get two really good songs and you've set up key aspects of what this movie is going to be. By uh, the 20 minute mark, you have gotten to the castle. You've gotten the Frankenstein play song, which isn't one of my favorites, but it's still like a good song. And you get by 20 minutes, you hit time warp. So like you've hit four songs, all at least good within the first 20 minutes. One of them being kind of the key song by 25 minutes, Tim Curry shows up and you get sweet transvestite. So like if by 25 minute mark you're not in on rocky horror you're not going to be but with shock treatment uh so rocky horror had two two great songs first 10 minutes shock treatment has two songs in the first 15 minutes they have the opening denton song which i think is pretty good but it's so slow <laughs> the denton it, denton it, it, that thing no the part where they're no, they're do, they okay. have the big beat the big letters yeah. And like they're they're like popping uh, in and out like the police officers got the jail under the N. Mm-hmm. Man, that was that took a really long time to set up. <laughs> like, oh, you're doing every single person right now. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, I see what we're doing. There's so many letters left. 
<laughs> so they do Denton and they do a song called Bitchin' in the Kitchen, which I think is actually one of the stronger songs of the movie. That was a fun one. I like that So one. That's, that's the first 15 minutes. But so already they're like five minutes behind and the songs aren't as good as the Rocky songs. And then um, that you don't get the next song until 20, the, you hit 22 minutes. So in 22 minutes, you've had three songs. And in Rocky, in 25 minutes, you've had five. And they're all pretty fantastic. <laughs> and at 25 minutes, pretty much exactly is when Tim Curry shows up. So he's stopping that foot. <laughs> you know, I kept waiting for that Tim Curry moment in this, and it just never happened. Like, Did you think he was none in of these this? characters? No, I'm just waiting for a character sure. to kind of slide into that role of like, oh, this is where it picks up. Yeah. This is like, and it's never, never happened. I was sort of expecting the 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 creepy blind guy to like sort of play a role like that um, or at least mm. like do be interesting or, or, <laughs> or do something else. But, but you're right in that um, after they've introduced Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn as sort of the, the, the doctors in their weird fake doctor show, uh, mm -hmm. the parents are the only other people that get in, involved. And um, yeah, it, it does man I, by janet has four separate songs where it's m mostly just her and she sounds great right and that actress was in suspira and suspira the original is great but at that point this the songs even though i i did like think that some of them had like some pretty good bops um they they just weren't they weren't varied enough or I don't know what I was expecting, but I, I did. I felt like at some point I just was like, they had kind of, it seemed like they had two types of songs, which was like Janet singing. And she was like, always like seemed like she was around dry ice, even if she wasn't, or it was the like merry crew of characters, right? It was like the, the, the doctor folk, and um they were being zany and i like i like <laughs> both of those things but i could i guess that dad number was different but at what cost you know <laughs> at what cost? yeah the one the ones i like the ones i've kept from the soundtrack uh the opening denton song i think's fun bitchin in the kitchen i think works there's a creepy kind of like uh like slower song called lullaby and that's what that's, that's the one that stood out to me when they're all going to bed yeah they're going to sleep and it like goes past all these windows and you're seeing yeah. into the characters almost like a wes anderson looking way like look like darjeeling limited kind of thing um mm. so that one i like i like shock treatment uh there's one called breaking out that's by the band within the show yeah. so it operates sort of yeah. like the meatloaf song um and then the last song anyhow anyhow is is very like square like the Denton song, just like, you know, middle America kind of thing. And I think it's fun, but yeah, I mean, if you want to stack up the songs compared to Rocky, I don't think even the good ones, I don't think are as good. And that was another thing I took stock of was okay. Not just how do the songs compare, but when I noticed that shock treatment was moving so much slower for the songs, 
how many songs are there. So Shock Treatment has 15. Rocky Horror has 19 plus a couple that got cut from like deleted scenes. So like, and I would say pretty much every song in Rocky Horror is great. There's a couple like sort of Damocles I'm not huge on and like maybe one other one where, but even the, the ones like that, they aren't like outright bad. It's just when you're stacking them up against Sweet Transvestite, it's like, yeah, this one's kind of weak. But I'd say like half the ones of uh, Shock Treatment are just kind of, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now that you describe that, it does seem like when I think about the songs in Rocky Horror, it seemed as though things were happening while those songs were were being sung, as opposed yeah. to Shock Treatment, which at least generally it seemed like there was like, plot, 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 so much, oh my god, and then there would be a song that would like, and then <laughs> there would be plot, 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 and then there would be a song, so... I think that that makes it seem very maybe frenetic, but also very slow at the same time that that stands out to me, Linton, from what you had just said yeah. in comparison. And I, and yeah. I know our friend, I Chris, <laughs> our friend, Chris, our friend, Chris is directed musical theater. He's a big musical fan. And that's one thing I think he's mentioned to me before of not liking musicals as much where we hit a song. So we stopped the plot. So that he always likes musicals where the songs advance the plot. They propel the plot. Mm-hmm. That's how the, the plot moves. And so I wasn't thinking about that aspect, but I think you're probably right that that is how most of the songs operate in Shock Treatment. Oh, yeah. Especially Janet's. My God. <laughs> they had nothing to do with anything. She was just... About anything. <laughs> she just felt so many feelings that she needed to deliver to us in a very time period kind of way, right? It, it was very, she was, she was in 1981 for sure. Oh yeah. So I did like when Brad, I don't remember what the actor's name was like, Cliff Young or Cliff DeYoung. Cliff DeYoung, yeah. I thought he did a pretty good job of his like little parent trap moment where he was singing that angry duet at himself. That was kind of cool. You know, I didn't love he had a good voice. Yeah, he did. I was glad he had something to do finally, you know. He apparently was the original okay. choice for Brad for Rocky Horror. Oh, man. But then they got Barry. Oh, wow. They got my what man. <laughs> yeah, it was like okay. they wanted they wanted him. They had like one of somebody had worked with him on a previous show, but he wasn't available, so that's when they got Barry Boswick. Which I feel if I was gonna look at each performance, I think Boswick is better. But I also think Rocky is just better. So it's part of it, he's just in a better thing. So you know. DeYoung might have been fine if he had been in Rocky Horror as well. But I, I guess I, I don't buy DeYoung as well. Partly the shaggy hair, I don't think, sells Brad as well. Like, I like, in the original, Brad has that very close-cropped, all-American boy. But this this one, the guy's got, like, longer hair. It's like, well, he shouldn't, though. I mean, that seems like such a small thing, but... It, it, well, yeah, especially considering that assuming that this is happening after the events of Rocky Horror because it seems that they're now married and have gotten back into a normal, weird, like, everyday life that he wouldn't be like, oh, now my hair's shaggy. Like, that's what should be <laughs> now. Like, because it seems it really like, makes it seem like... And, and things got worse for them. Like, they were liberated from Rocky and now they're, they've been married for, like, maybe a few years, but they've gotten back into the 
the everyday drudge and mm -hmm. you think they'd be like more more straight laced but yeah you're right he's his hair is just i wonder to what extent because i was feeling the same way it does kind of seem like they like made like bill Hader slash rain wilson kind of like ugly and then gave him a xanax and then he told they told him to start the, the movie <laughs> but i wonder to what extent once i realized that he was playing sort of that hyper 80s businessman slick Farley character. I wonder if they had to sort of, if that impacted how they decided, or maybe they didn't want them to look too much alike too early on. And so that's why they gave him that sort of yeah, like maybe. receding hair, floppy, vaguely just upset look that he had before he got gagged and then put in an overly dramatic cage for a while. I did like that cage, by the way. I liked, I mean, they didn't have much. I mean, <laughs> the asylum, I got really tired of them just like running around in a square and then spinning. And then I, they couldn't trick me. I knew it was a square, but I thought that it looked <laughs> like it looked good. It looked kind of like over the top aesthetic in a way that the way that um, sort of the castle and Rocky did in a way that I thought, I thought worked because it was, not at all realistic, but it wasn't trying to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, I do, I did notice that man, we were not outside at all. It was, it was a very by the end claustrophobic kind of feeling moving. I wanted to be outside of the TV studio that I knew we were in, <laughs> and I knew it was being filmed in. Katie wanted to be outside of the movie. That was mostly. Her I wanted it to be over. That's what I wanted. Yes. <laughs> I wanted it to be done. I wanted to breathe the fresh air again. <laughs> so any other thoughts of this in comparison to Rocky of stuff that, you know, is off or they could have done better or, well, I think that was one of the questions, which was like, how could you fix this? Is it, is it, sal is it salvageable or was Rocky always going to be a singular thing? Like, cause we talked about the possibility of like, all right, if they hadn't even tried to build off of Rocky, make it Brad and Janet, if they had just done a different musical, like Christopher Guest will do same kind of cast, but it's a different movie. Um, would trying to tie it into Rocky in any way, was would that always fail? Or could you have salvaged this in some way? Well, I think if you had made more of an attempt to make it an actual sequel, where you aren't just following these two characters to another thing that it's hard to make sense of how it is like uh, like progress from the last movie. Um, Cause it's just like you, you mentioned the town they're from and then here they are, but it doesn't, nothing seems the same. Um, so if you had, you know, there's lots of stuff in Rocky that you could have explored. Like, you know, the freaking aliens went back to space at the end. So there, there's plenty of mythology there to build on that mm -hmm. you could at least attempted to do. Or Brad and um, Janet could have gone back to Denton and they are completely different and they're the weirdos now and the town rejects Yeah, like Carol them. with a case. Yeah, yeah, you know. it could have been like that. Yeah. And then they have to become Tim Curry and liberate the town. <laughs> they have to bring Tim Curry to the masses. <laughs> yes. Love it. <laughs> I, I think that... I think if they had done the kind of the Christopher Guest thing and they had just had little like Easter eggs like the same last name like oh is Betty Hapshat the same Betty Hapshat those type of things it would have worked but just as itself I think like 
shock treatment needed to figure out what it was about because yeah it seemed like it wanted to be about a bunch of different things and i don't think like listen i'm not asking for a coherent plot i'm not asking for character growth but it needed to like pick its realm of tropes and sat the what it was really sat satirizing um like i i like the sci-fi horror stuff that that was in rocky but i don't know that i mean if they wanted it to be about tv then make it about tv don't have this lavish asylum i i think it had it didn't have it had too much in it and then ultimately it kind of came to nothing in the end so I, i do think it needed to pick its its themes if not actually create a plot and characters like i don't i'm not asking for that much you know so Jess, just total failure, top to bottom for you? Um, you know, it definitely suffered from, like, calling itself a sequel um, because, I don't know, I'm, let me see. I'm going to try to get my thoughts together. I have Sorry, too I, put many. You, I put you on um, the spot. <laughs> well, I'm just like, if they had just focused on like the TV idea, I think that would have been really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, if they were just focused on the like, TV idea where like this whole town has become all consumed by their TV world and, you know, just like, but then they throw in like this twin brother thing where it was a targeted attack on Brad for some reason. Like, I don't know why that makes sense. Like, they just keep like throwing things at us. And, like, no, just, like, less is more, I think, in this case. of just, like, I'm happy with, like, the TV commentary. Like, I think that's really cool. And, you know, maybe spend more time diving into, like, the logic of that and, like, how this actually works. Uh, Make it make sense. (laughs) But, like, when you're, I don't know, becoming too focused on, like, well, actually, this is his twin brother that they were separated as children, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't care anymore. I just don't. Well, but actually, nothing... the scientists are character actors. Ah, oh, okay, cool, great. <laughs> I, mean, I was shocked by how that was supposed to be. Well, yeah, that's. I was about to say that, like, nothing in this... No, I thought they were all. There are no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think it's presented almost like reality TV, so they're like normal people. Oh, but even but even right. so, it doesn't really make sense of like, well, still, why is that horrible or why does that alter anything? But yeah, there it there, it's basically like a movie. Nothing has any consequence. Like when they find out that they're actors, it's like they're shocked, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't alter the plot in any way. When you find out that he Farley and Brad are related, it's like okay, it's this big revelation but nothing really comes of it. Uh, They lock up Brad and Janet and the other people, but they immediately escape. So like every blockade, like whereas with Rocky, like as Katie said, you don't necessarily need plot progression and character development like you would in some movies. But like there are things that happen in Rocky, like Frank's actions directly tie to his death. That's the reason he's killed. Frank's Mm -hmm. actions are the reason that the uh, house goes up in the end and they all leave. Frank and everyone else changed Brad and Janet by the end of the movie. So like there are repercussions to what happened. Whereas in shock treatment, you're kind of left like 
the only seeming repercussion is the town is all in the madhouse, I guess. But you don't even know why that's valid or like what the point is. So you're not left yeah. with any kind. It's not like, oh, biting satire. It's like, oh, they're and there. Have, and have Brad and Janet changed in any way or by the end? And is it supposed to be that they've, I guess, because I'm trying to follow like their character plot is that she gets wrapped up in fame and um, I guess is ignoring him or isn't trying to save him. And then, but she ends up, I guess, I don't remember a part of the movie where she is like decides to go help Brad again or things get resolved in that way. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, cause they keep drugging her to make her keep performing, mm-hmm. but then like, I don't know. It felt like she just walked into that room where the twin was and was like Brad. And like, that's when she kind of became like aware and like, I need to help my husband. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but no. no. Yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it that. It doesn't make sense, but I think that's. <laughs> I do think that Janet and Britney Spears pre-conservatorship have a lot in common, right? When she's all like just sitting, just staring when she's Miss Mental Health, like that, we saw that music, uh, music video awards. We, we know what oh, happened to her. Yeah, yeah, she talks to the kids, the band, they come in and yeah. say, well, name? And you won't have friends soon. Like, right, very, exactly. Uh, but she's aware of what's being done to her, I guess, at the cost of fame, but she's still not. Um, yeah, not. until she's like, doesn't want to hang out with them in the green room and goes to greet those fans. Like she's all in. And then they're like, ah, well, nah. <laughs> they give her that really pink drink. Um, it, it does. At some point she, she sort of is like, well, yes, I'll choose my bedraggled husband over this person I've just met. And that's, <laughs> but, but yeah, th- there is no, um, she doesn't have that. She still gets the dress at the end. She gets that, that white dress it's like all right well this seems like a net positive for everybody except brad who's gonna have an addiction to xanax after this and the right? 70 year old criminologist gets to go off with uh betty at the end so betty. i assume his dad is still a bigot so uh... <laughs> well the dad ends up in the asylum i i uh, okay i gotta say i did i thought that the actor who was playing the dad was sort of the standout the standout for me i thought that he had the right energy for what he was in uh he he did and i i i was i was rooting for the dad specifically because he did seem like he was the only person who was actually in the, the movie that they had and not a movie that was this right i liked i liked o'brien i liked o'brien and quinn because uh, they got to work together, mm-hmm. you know, so I think you get a little bit, I mean, they're obviously not playing Riff Raff and Magenta, but I think, but they have some good back and forth at points. They're not in the movie a ton to, like, they're in it. They don't have a whole lot of interaction throughout. It's, you know, in, in spurts. But I like their moments. I think they're playing it with the same energy. They're different characters, you know, so they, they play them differently than Magenta and Riff Raff. I think if you had other characters that were working as well as those were, you'd be off to a better start. Um, yeah, for me, like, if, if you could save it, I think you need a much simpler plot that 
and like Katie's saying, pick a lane. Like just choose what you're satirizing, what you're what you're attempting to do. Um, but you need a simpler plot, tie it to some kind of sci-fi horror thing or tie it to TV or something else. That's one thing. And I think also, I don't know that you need Bostwick and Sarandon in the roles. I think they would have helped if you do want to make it a direct sequel. If you do make it a direct sequel, I think you should. I think Brad and Janet's journey in Rocky Horror should be addressed. <laughs> like whether they are different now or whether they reverted back and it's like, that was a crazy night or whatever it is. This movie doesn't even, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't go into it. So, so you're kind of left with, are we supposed to think they've been changed? Do we think that, like Katie said, that they've never even been there and this is completely a different like universe. The movie leaves that too open-ended um, so you don't know where you're at. If it been, if it hadn't been Brad and Janet, if you just had two other squares in it, you wouldn't have had that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's that. And I do think the absence of Tim Curry hurts a lot. Like he himself would not have saved it, but he would have, you know, he would have brought some fire. He would have brought some fun. So you change some of those elements and it could have been better. You know what? It just occurred to me. Wouldn't it be like a kind of fun thing that doesn't create these weird problems of having Brad and Janet if you'd had the square couple be like Betty and Ralph Hapshat? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, Literally, so there's still that. Yeah. Like, oh, I, that's the thing with the thing that I like already. Yeah, this is what happened when they left the wedding and went off in right. a separate direction. Like, these are things are happening simultaneously. Like, you could have done that. Yeah. And at the end of this movie, they see a house flying up into the sky. <laughs> yeah, they'd already gotten married in the last yeah. one, and so you're opening with a married couple here, so. Oops. All right. Oops. Uh, yeah. Any any stray thoughts before we wrap up? I wanted to say, what a waste of little no. What a waste. <laughs> Criminal. What a fucking waste. Like, she's, she's, is that what her voice always sounds like? I guess I never heard her talk in real life, but. I think it's exaggerated. Like, during Columbia voice. Yeah, I think it's exaggerated. I was like, way to go doing the same character voice. I applaud you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I she just like barely was in it, and then when she was in it, it was like, hey, look at my underwear. <laughs> and like, yeah, I guess I don't know. That 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 did that struck me very strangely when she comes in when uh, Janet is in supposed to sign the life contract, and she mm-hmm. is just very clearly like showing her underwear and Janet sort of like, Oh, okay, cool. What? I don't. And then man, you know what came of that? Nothing. It just stood out (laughs) as much and was as awkward as it was in the beginning. Woo. That's like that, where I thought like some character saying something and I was like, this probably isn't important. So I'm not going to pay attention (laughs) to it. Really important. Well, that was a. If we're, I, I mentioned earlier about there are no repercussions. That's another aspect. Uh, so, if you haven't seen the movie, you have you know the same actors who played Riff Raff and Magenta. They're presented as you know these mad scientists, and they were told that they're brother and sister. And then somewhere, I don't know, maybe a couple scenes past their introduction, we get this kind of indication that they, there might be something incestuous. And then during one of the songs, Lullaby, we're seen into different bedrooms. And it's very overt that there's something sexual going on between them. And so you're just, just like, okay, so it's an incestuous couple, I guess. But then at the end, and I alluded to this earlier, but at the end you find out that they're actually actors 
So then the question is, oh, are they not actually brother and sister and they were just pretending for this role? Are they like a married couple or are they just a couple? But the movie doesn't address it. And so it's already raised this issue of like, oh, well, what's going on with them? And then it's like, oh, I don't know. Moving on. So I don't know (laughs) the goal with that, but that's another weird thing. Yeah. And man, their riffraff being sexual and rocky was off-putting but everything was sexual when it's just them and it's him with his bald head and his like weird fractured eyes and she's got her aggressive like maximum bernadette peters look man that was awkward and i didn't i didn't want it i I regretted i regretted things when that was happening and then i regretted how it would pan to the blind man who was just staring out the window and I I hate I hated him, and I kept waiting. Flames, for... flames on the side of my face, <laughs> screaming, heaving. I just kept thinking, "Wow, this creepy, unpleasant-looking, can't understand what he's saying." Character, he's gonna eventually something's gonna come of this, and there's gonna be a, a reason for him to be here, just being a weirdo. <laughs> And it sure wasn't. And it wasn't a fun weirdo. I love a weirdo, but I hated him. Ah, I'm glad he didn't get on the car, in the car with them as they rode off to the future. But he was winning. He was one of the dastards. He got to drink the champagne at the end. He wasn't even in a, uh, one of the swag bag jail straitjackets. So he didn't. So he didn't go into the asylum or in the car. Where? No, there. So the the main like the the uh, the two sibling fucker doctors, um, Farley, uh, Little Nell, the other one that didn't have a matching outfit, which made me upset, um, <laughs> and then him were all like celebrating their victory at. Getting all these patients. They were to, they were in like the doctor's off separate doctor's yeah, office. Like, so they're like all like, in ah, cahoots. Ah, ah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. and I guess what um I I was left with one lingering question though at, at the end of the film, which was what was <laughs> one thing? one thing really penetrated for me one question which was so the criminologist was a judge right they kept saying like oh he's judge oliver right yeah and i what was he the judge of like it turned out their whole society was in this tv studio i kept expecting him to like have a job he had to go to could have been like a a simon cowell type or like maybe a judge judge but they didn't even have that it's just i and maybe it's because i i work in the legal field but i was very distracted by what what he whether he was an elected judge or an appointed judge was there a legal system set up in in the, the studio in Denton as I you don't can, know. as you can see everyone Katie is very invested in the world building of shock treatment she uh, I well, that, need I more mean, that's not one question it raises many more questions like at what point did the town of Denton become overtaken by a TV studio because it seems like from Rocky Horror, where they were from, was a normal middle America town, but now here we are in Denton, and it's 
Is there a real town? Den- where were they? Okay, so actually, you're right, well, Eric. There's a, there's a city called Denton in Texas. There's that's where there's the, multiple. There's I was looking up some stuff. So there's multiple Dentons. I did see something that claimed they apparently were thinking about shooting it in Denton, Texas. But that sounds like it's easily apoc- an apocryphal thing. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's meant to be a fictitious town. I, I don't think there's ever been a confirmed it's this state kind of thing. But Eric, you, you bring up a good question which is at the very beginning when everybody is like, they open the doors and everybody's rushing in to get their seats. Where were they rushing in from? Where, why weren't they there already? Let's ask the big questions. Let's get Richard O'Brien over here. I mean, if you can we get Richard O'Brien on my podcast, I'll have him. I don't, I don't know that he would appreciate the contents of this podcast. Although <laughs> he did I, I've, def- I've defended this movie more than any of you though. He did call shock treatment at one point. He referred to it as an abortion, which is yes. tough, right? But, you know, he did. That's aggressive. Yeah, that's yeah. aggressive. But um... I will say in, in rewatching both Rocky and this, and I looked up his career and it, it does bear it out a little bit, but I am surprised that he did not go on to become a very notable weirdo in things. Like, like he has a really great mm-hmm. presence and he's this tall, lean, kind of odd looking dude. And he, but he's like got a great mm-hmm. stage presence that can play creepy. And he's he's been in stuff that I've never seen, but he's been in some stuff I knew. He was in Dark City as a big, tall, creepy oh, yeah. weirdo. And yeah. he was he played the child catcher in a stage version of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because of course he did. Of course he did. Um, well. <laughs> and you know I think he's done some other stage stuff, but it does kind of surprise me that he never like that he doesn't pop up in director stuff for like unusual role. Like I. There's a lot of character actors who have done those kind of offbeat roles that I could have easily seen O'Brien doing for the last 30 years. Um, a lot of Brad Dorf stuff. Yeah, Brad yes. Dorf. Or, I mean, the, the one weirdly that pops in my head, I, I assume everybody here has seen Ghost. Remember that that mm-hmm. tall, kind of unusual-looking guy who's the ghost? The yeah. first ghost that oh, you yeah. see? That guy w- played, like, a tall, kind of creepy dude in, like, everything. Yeah, and yeah. Richard O'Brien could have easily yeah. been doing those. I mean, not to pigeonhole him. I mean, he might have been able to do other stuff, but it's still surprising to me that he is so locked into kind of like musical theater um, and not that he didn't break out more in film. Well, uh, you know, he did. He was a secondary character on. Phineas and Ferb, he voiced um, let me see, Lawrence Fletcher. So he's wow. who's Fer, Ferb's father. You know, that's big, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Do they sing on that show? I wonder if they sing on that show. I've never seen it. Uh well, uh, actually, let me see here. Um oh wait, no, sorry, I was reading another character's uh you know, he sells antiques. So oh. he sounds pretty busy. He's too busy to sing. <laughs> a very minor character. Okay. Yes. Um, and in addition to being the father of Ferb, he's the stepfather of Phineas and Candace. So there you go. Um, I, I guess Phineas and Ferb are related and not lovers, as I previously assumed. <laughs> it's a children's show. Why would you assume You know, I, I mean, isn't that true of the Powerpuff Girls? Right? They're that lovers. They're, that they're lovers? How about girls are they're lovers? They're sisters. I, I guess I don't watch enough cartoons. <laughs> Who they're sisters. It was a joke. I, I, I am aware that they are sisters. 
man. I, I was so worried well, for you. <laughs> they made the claim about Ren and Stimpy, but there was yeah, that's never true. any proof of it. But mm. um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, they they yeah. made it overt in the adult party cartoon. Yes, they did. <laughs> but uh, in, in the previous <laughs> ones, no. Yeah. All right. So we are going well off the rails here, and that's totally fine. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> shock treatment, 1981 shock treatment. We will wrap up here with Would you recommend shock treatment? Eric? I will say, well, no. And I'm thinking about <laughs> would I recommend it because I wouldn't recommend Rocky Horror to a lot of people I know. Um, because just knowing the, the types of movies that people I know would like, I think all the people I know I would know if they would like Rocky Horror or not. <laughs> um, and I'm, so if it was someone who I knew liked Rocky Horror and hadn't seen Shock Treatment, then yes, because you just kind of have to experience it, I guess, if you're a fan. Um, so no. Uh, apart from that, I would not recommend having to sit through this because it's not going to really, even if you're just a fan of musicals in general, I wouldn't. Uh, it's just it's just a hard thing to sit through. I I would say no. I would say no. Uh, I I guess even even my friends that I have that really liked like camp stuff and over the top things, I I would I would maybe recommend it with a lot of um, like provisions, like just so you know. You're gonna hate a lot of it, but you might not hate all of it. Why are you recommending it? If I'm, like, I don't know, I, but again, I think that the, the 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 Janet's looks are great looks. If you could just watch like a three minute clip of just that one song, where the little black dress song, maybe just that one, watch it on YouTube, and then you don't even know what need to know what movie it's from. The, the less known, the better. Sleep well at night. That, that dress that has a long sleeve, and her dad says she's practically naked. I, I noticed that. It did. The dad's got problems. What the fuck are you saying? That dress is covering a lot. Um, I, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone who hasn't seen Rocky. And then I think you have to really enjoy Rocky and then maybe I would say yes just to like kind of get a feel for it or like uh I don't know just for a, a history lesson and just kind of like my own knowledge great here's what here's what happened but like the, the uh, yeah, I'm not recommending this. yes like be a Richard O'Brien completist but like no, I can't imagine just like watching this for fun. If so, I, I will never watch this again. If someone recommended this to me without caveats, I would be upset afterwards. <laughs> I would, be, I would be, I would. I'm they would have explained it to do. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, because they're they're saying like, oh, here's something you would enjoy. I'm recommending this to you, and you come back like, why the hell was yeah. you saying? Yeah, I would enjoy. That. How dare you? I thought we were friends. What about it specifically? <laughs> to compare, um, I had a relative, a relative that, you know, we aren't very close, but like a couple years ago, she sent me a birthday gift and she was like, well, I know how much you love Doctor Who, 
So here's the first couple seasons of Big Bang Theory on DVD. <laughs> Those are not the same. <laughs> I thought you were going to say house, but that's even worse. Big and bang. I was like, how very dare you? <laughs> can we, can I ask the age range of this relative? Um, older than me, like maybe 10 years older than me. Not enough. Not enough. I know. I was hoping yeah. it was like a well-meaning aunt, maybe, who's like, ah, you like things. Here's this thing. <laughs> But no. It's like, oh, you tried. You tried. Right, no. So that's kind of what this is compares to. Is like, oh, I heard you love Rocky Horror. Here's shock treatment. And you're like, no, I remember thank you. specifically. You sent me a picture of that. Yeah. You were yeah. like, I got like the first four seasons on DVD. I was like, what are you going to do with those? You're like, I'm just going to sell them and see what I can get or trade them in. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll take anything. So if, I don't want them in if my If you're home, listening, so. Jess's relative, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> You became an but no, your life. Uh, I mean, I can cut that if you really want. Um, but, no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, shock treatment. Uh, I agree with Katie of like recommended with reservations or provisions. I would absolutely not recommend this movie as like a, this is great. And I, I, I had seen this a couple times. I saw it back in college and then I rewatched it like last Halloween uh, just because I hadn't seen it in years and thought like, oh, I want to, you know, see that. I, I mostly wanted to revisit it for the songs to see if any of the songs were good, which I do think some of them are quite good. And so uh, I knew what I was going into with this. Uh, sounds like some people knew what they were getting in for for this and some people did not. Um, and that's fine. But uh, yeah, so I would I wouldn't recommend it, though. I would say, you know, it's it's a curiosity uh, for the kind of completest aspect. Uh, some of the ideas are kind of neat where you can sort of see a movie that it could have been. And then I will say that some of the songs are pretty solid, especially if you listen to them a few times, they get pretty catchy. So I will probably try to track down the vinyl soundtrack of this. Eventually it's was, I don't think it's ever been re-released, but like there's copies out there of the original. So like half the soundtrack is like just okay but the other half I would say is like pretty strong and fun. Just no Rocky horror. So yeah, I, not go ahead. I, I will say this um, in terms of like movies, musicals that they attempted to make cult favorites from the beginning, I would watch shock treatment before I would watch repo, the genetic opera that came out in like the two thousands, man, at least this like had some, some, jazzy tunes that I could bop to like this. I could just bop. Um, Repo the Genetic Opera was a... Yeah, they're not going to see my bop, but they're just going to... They'll feel it. Trust that she is bopping. She's bopping down. I'm bopping like a 30-something white lady. Uh, they, they... But yeah, to me, that is its most direct comparison, and that movie was garbage. So this is better really? than that. Yeah. That movie also makes no sense. Um, but this one had better outfits. So I'll give it that. All about that fashion. I'm, All about that shock treatment fashion. I do, I do <laughs> like the look of the doctors. I think it's a pretty, it'd be a pretty cool Halloween costume. if you. That's what, that's what um, my girlfriend said when we were watching it was that that would be kind of a fun group costume. Yeah. And that guy's sunglasses. <laughs> anyone knew what the hell this movie was. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's what I said. I was like. They were like why are you doing a costume for that this. movie? Yeah, this is. I, I like that movie. I like it less now that I know what it is. <laughs> Leave my party, please. 
So circling back, Party. yes, uh, I would not exactly recommend shock treatment, but uh, I do think it's a curiosity is something that's kind of interesting. If you've seen Rocky Horror, if you like Rocky Horror, I do think it's worth checking out at least once. Um, you know, uh, you may view it as a train wreck, but uh, there are some interesting bits to it. So that is shock treatment. We will be moving on with our next one, which should be The Fall starring Lee Pace. But before that, I believe we will have a couple of special episodes for the election. So though this is going to be airing, uh, recording this well in advance like the other ones, but this is going to be airing uh, tail end of October. And so likely those election episodes will be like wedged right in there before everything happens on that Tuesday, whatever that is. So uh, look forward to those, and then we'll be back on our regular ones for The Fall, which is the title of our next film. All right, see you then.